This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hi, everybody. Welcome to MLB.com Extras. I'm Matthew Leach, talking New York Mets with MLB.com's Mets beat reporter, Anthony DeComo. Been pretty good for the Mets so far. Uh, got some very good news over the weekend as Jacob DeGrom came back and pitched pretty well. Um, how did he look to you? Well, he looked, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, he looked like Jacob DeGrom. And in a lot of ways, he looked like a guy who hadn't essentially pitched in two weeks. Um, you know, the Mets were being careful with him. They weren't going to have him go out and throw 110 pitches or anything like that. Um, so it's a little bit of easing back. For Jacob DeGrom, but I don't think there was any worries about him physically. Uh, he had obviously strained his lat muscle his first start of the year, the home opener, and that took a while to heal. And uh, Jacob DeGrom even admitted to a certain extent that it was a thing where the rest, um, which came about due to an unfortunate circumstance and complications of his baby's birth, um, but the rest, uh, you know, did him a little bit of good. Um, he wasn't tempted to rush back or anything like that. I think the Mets are fairly confident at this point that Jacob DeGrom is good to go going forward. Um, rest for these guys, and I'll lump Noah Syndergaard and even Matt Harvey, and certainly Steven Matz in with DeGrom, is certainly not a bad thing. These guys, with the exception of Matz, are not really up against innings limits this year, but that doesn't mean the Mets want them to just go out and throw 250 innings and, and just go crazy out there. I think... Uh, the team is still very cognizant of how many innings these guys are throwing, of what types of situations they find themselves in. And if they can find time this week, for example, uh, you know, DeGrom coming back allowed them to essentially give everyone in the rotation with a team off day in there as well two extra days of rest. And uh, the Mets are happy to do that when they can throughout the course of this summer. Uh, I think ultimately when Zach Wheeler comes back from the disabled list, you could be looking at a turn or two of a six-man rotation. Um, you know, they have Logan Verrett, who has proven very capable of, of coming in as well, and I think he could even make another spot start, even if no one's injured. That's somewhere along the line here. So these little things the Mets are going to be doing, these little bits of rest, uh, you know, while it might manifest itself ultimately in a guy coming back somewhat rusty, uh, I, I think it's a gamble the Mets are going to be willing to take throughout the course of this summer. In, in the short term, uh, does... DeGrom get handled maybe just sort of as though it's it's the first week of the season or even the last week of spring training just because it has been fits and starts. That's a tricky injury he's coming back from. He missed a good bit of time at the beginning of the year. Um, does he maybe have another couple of starts of, of building up to normal uh, normal duration or is, they pretty much, is he pretty much at normal status with his next start? I think he, he, he's, if not at normal status, he's pretty darn close at this point. Um, the lat injury is a non-issue at this point. The Mets are pretty confident of that. And, you know, even when DeGrom was down in Florida, he was driving back and forth to Fort St. Lucie, 
few times a week. Uh, it's over a two-hour drive each way. And he was doing that. He was going, he was throwing bullpen sessions and essentially building up his stamina that way. Uh, I believe the first one was uh, uh, 20-something pitches, and he built up to 40 and was up to, uh, around 65, I believe, by the end of it in a simulated game. Um, so I, I think uh, with all of that and going out and, and having that start in Atlanta, I think Jacob deGrom is now back to the point where, uh, especially with the extra rest that he's going to get again with the, these team off days that keep popping up once a week for the Mets here in April, um, I, I don't think 100 pitches is an issue. Now, again, it's April. It's early. The temperatures are still struggling to uh, climb consistently into the 60s and 70s. So uh, I don't think you're going to see Jacob deGrom or any of these guys really go out and throw 110, 115 pitches, at, at least uh, not multiple starts in a row. And, and uh, probably not anytime soon, but uh, I wouldn't look at this as like a, uh, you know, Jacob DeGrom just ended his spring training. I think he's more or less uh, a regular starter at this point. You've written uh, a few times this year about the fact that the Mets on offense are essentially going to live or die by the home run. Um, and, and one guy who has been a big part of that early is Neil Walker. And I was looking at the numbers, and – I always say this, and then I do it anyway. It's dangerous to scout the stats. and I mean, I've certainly seen Walker play some this year, but it jumps out that not only is he hitting the ball out of the park, but he's striking out a little more than usual. He's walking a lot less than usual. And I, I add that up, and I wonder, is he making some sort of conscious adjustment to sell out a little for more power, either as a conscious decision or sort of as that's part of what this lineup is, or is that just kind of the way it's happened so far this year? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I actually talked to Neil Walker a little bit about that uh, last night. And, and let, me, let me preface this. Let me first of all say that I, I feel like people see this concept of a team living and dying by the home run as this bad thing. I, I don't really see it that way. As long as you're scoring the runs, um, I I personally don't care how they come, and maybe it's a little—they come a little streakier if you're living and dying by the home run. But home runs are really good things, and teams that hit a lot of them tend to do well. So, uh, would you like in a perfect world a team capable of stealing bases and hitting and running and doing all these other little things that that teams can do to manufacture runs? Sure, of course. But if the choice is between that and between the team that just hits a lot of home runs, I'm going to take the home run team every time. So. I don't necessarily see that negative connotation to uh, living and dying by the home run that a lot of people do. Um, but as for Walker personally, uh, yeah, I think there is definitely some adjustments he's making. Um, certainly from the right side of the plate against left-handed pitchers, uh, he's made a pretty distinct mechanical adjustment. He's totally scrapped uh, this toe tap that he's had a timing mechanism for years uh, that he says has, has allowed him to kind of get his hands there a little quicker and generate a little more power. Um, you got to remember, this is a switch hitter who did not hit a home run against a left-handed pitcher at all last season. and He's got three, I believe, so far this year. So that's, that's pretty impressive. And, and from the left side, uh, which traditionally has been Walker's much better power side, uh, you know, I think he's doing a lot of things. That, and I hate to draw the Daniel Murphy comparison because it's an easy comp. It might even be a little bit of a lazy comp. Uh, only because obviously they're both second baseman playing from the Mets and, and guys with pretty similar statistical profiles. But Murphy is a guy who we saw pretty distinctly, and he admitted to it, um, kind of selling out to get a little more power. And it worked really well for him. He essentially changed the way he hit towards the latter 
portion of his Mets tenure, and we saw it in the playoffs. Now, that was obviously above and beyond what he did with his Babe Ruth impression there in October. Um, but that was the end product of, of a lot of work he had done with Kevin Long in terms of working to pull the ball more, um, not necessarily looking to spray the field as much as he had in years past, and full well knowing that that was going to cost him a little bit of batting average uh, in the pursuit of home runs. And now, I don't think anything that Neil Walker is doing is quite that dramatic, but he is pulling the ball more. Uh, he's hit, hitting the ball in the air way more, and he credits that to just being able to uh, some, some little mechanical adjustments, keeping his hands in, allowing them to get to the ball a little quicker. Um, and so, yeah, you, you sacrifice a little bit of that opposite field uh, know-how. You, you sacrifice a little bit, essentially, of your batting average in an effort to hit more home runs. Again, I don't think what he's doing is as dramatic as what Daniel Murphy did, and I, and I also don't think it's quite sustainable the rate at which he's hitting home runs since he's on pace for uh, about 72, I believe. Uh, but there is something to it, and I, I do think, uh, you know, if you look at the end of the year, Neil Walker has, I would even say, 20 to 25 home runs, which I believe his career high is 23, but he's, he's only done that once or even come close to it once. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility with what he's doing at the plate that he could approach that sort of number again. To be clear, you are talking to somebody who owns a Ball Go Far, Team Go Far t-shirt, so I am with you on that. <laughs> Merely talking back. Um, but uh, and one other guy that I wanted to ask you about, um, Michael Conforto is doing a little of everything right now. And, and offensively, he is uh, he's sort of become uh, – right now he's sort of hitting it at what I think a lot of people would see as kind of the high end of his range. Uh, one specific thing I wanted to ask you about, as he continues to do this and shows this kind of well-rounded offensive profile – are we going to start seeing him a little more against left-handed pitchers? Is he forcing his way into where uh, he needs to be in the lineup every single day? I hope so, because Terry Collins has been so gun-shy about this. And, and uh, I get it to a certain extent. I certainly get what they did with Michael Conforto last year, uh, essentially shielding him completely against left-handed pitchers. But at some point, this is a guy who hit lefties great in college, who hit lefties good in the minors, uh, you got to go out there and you got to see what he can do. I do think the Mets are going to do that. They might really be forced uh, to do it as soon as this week um, just because of Ioannis Cespedes' injury. Uh, you know, Juan Lagares is going to start because of that regardless, and your choice at that point for a third outfielder is Conforto or Alejandro Diaz, who is also left-handed. So I do think he's going to get some reps. I do think he's looked okay later in games, the opportunities he's gotten so far this season, but with a guy of that talent, I, I really, you know, at this point in the season, early in the year, it's not like you're in a pennant chase yet. Uh, you got to sink or swim and see what he has, and, and I've seen nothing so far to date that tells me he can't hit lefties. To the contrary, I mean, everything this guy has done has sort of screamed out his ability to make adjustments and make adjustments quickly, and, uh, you know, you're right. Maybe this is a best-case scenario for Michael Conforto, what we're seeing. Maybe he's already essentially reached his ceiling or something close to his ceiling a couple years out of college, which is pretty impressive in itself. Uh, but that's a really good hitter. I mean, just look at what he's done, uh, mostly against right-handed pitching, but it's been some pretty good stuff. So I, I do think he's ultimately going to get some opportunities. I think it's going to reach a point, uh, maybe it has already, where if you start benching Conforto against lefties regularly, there's going to be some outcry from fans, from media, from everyone who wants to see what this guy can do. Um, now, this might all just be a bunch of 
talk for nothing because until uh, this week, the Mets had only seen one left-hander all year, Adam Conley of the Marlins. So uh, it's been a very right-handed heavy uh, schedule for them. They haven't had to deal with these decisions, but that's obviously uh, going to change a little bit as they get away from the division from the NL East, which is really a predominantly right-handed starting pitching division at this point. But, yeah, I, for me personally, you got to give him a shot and see what he can do. And the Mets placed catcher Travis Darno on the disabled list today. It's a strained right rotator cuff for Darno, an injury that he says did not really bother him until last night's game. It's Monday night's game against the Reds when uh, the Reds stole five bases against him. He made a couple of throws down to second base, down to third base, and, and noticeably grimaced on a swing in the sixth inning. So he had it checked out this morning, had an MRI, which revealed the strain. Uh, for Darno. it's yet another injury in a career full of them. Uh, even since joining the Mets, he's been bothered by a uh, left elbow hyperextension. He's had a couple of broken bones. Uh, he had a torn knee ligament in the minors. So uh, it's been a tough go of it throughout the early young career of Travis Darno, who hasn't had a lot of consistency in the big leagues because of those injuries. Uh, he's hopeful that this will only be a couple of weeks and he'll be back at it uh, as soon as possible. But in the interim, the Mets have selected the contract of uh, veteran Rene Rivera from AAA. Uh, Rivera was uh, a recent pickup of the Mets. He had previously been with the Rays and a couple of other teams throughout a seven-year career. Uh, he'll be backing up Kevin Plawecki, who should start most days for the Mets, much as he did, as he did a year ago. Uh, when Darno was on the on the disabled list for a couple of months, uh, the Mets are sort of interested to see what they have in Plawecki. Uh, once a top prospect has spent uh, this year and last year backing up Darno for the most part, but still has a lot of offensive potential. So he will be starting every day for the most part for the Mets as Darno heals, and uh, we'll see what he can do now uh, as Darno's backup and as the uh, everyday starter here in Flushing. Well, that's uh, MLB.com Extras this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and thanks, Anthony Ducomo, for taking a little time to talk. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.